Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a billionaire-sized reputation. Whatever you think of Elon Musk, we, we need him to succeed. Jury selection began Tuesday in a defamation trial against billionaire Elon Musk. Nice to meet you, too. And thanks for not lighting this place on fire. You're welcome. December was a big month for Elon. SpaceX launched and landed another rocket. Elon was in court because of a defamation case against him. And he made a point of driving around Los Angeles in his newly announced Tesla Cybertruck, while onlookers gawked. He got a lot of attention, and these days that kind of feels normal. Elon Musk is Mr. Controversy and Mr. Future, all in one tech billionaire package. But 10 years ago, most people had never heard of him. It's not that he wasn't involved in major deals back in the 90s or in the 2000s. It's just that he wasn't Elon as we know him today. Arguably, the 2010s were the decade that Elon became Elon. And so today on the show, we're taking a look at the human who wants to start a colony on Mars, build a machine to control computers with just your brain, and who thinks we probably live in a simulation. I'm Ariel Zermross. This is Reset. Liz Lopato, deputy editor at The Verge and reporter on The Musk Beat, how did Elon become the person he is today? Can you tell me a little bit about his childhood? Yeah, I can definitely tell you about his childhood. So he's he's born in South Africa. His parents split. He stays with his dad after the divorce. His dad, by all accounts, is not a great guy. And so he has kind of this rough home life. And he's not doing that well with his peers at school either. What do you mean by that? At one point, he was beaten so badly by his schoolmates that he was hospitalized. Mm. I mean, he was bullied. So he grows up in South Africa. I mean, he now lives in the U.S., How did he end up there? First, he moved to Canada, and then he moved to the U.S. And in both cases, it had to do with going to school. He went to college, essentially. And his family is actually Canadian, right? I think his mother might be Canadian. Sorry, I like plugging that in there. People should know. As a Canadian, (laughs) I care. So first he goes to Canada, uh, and I think he's at Queen's University, which is in Ontario. And from there, he moves on to the University of Pennsylvania, um, where I think he got um, dual degrees in economics and physics. All right. And at this point, is he already thinking up businesses that he wants to, to create or, you know, where is where is his mind at? Yeah, I mean, so there's, I mean, the economics degree suggests to me that he's already thinking about business, but there's also some anecdotes in Ashley Vance's biography about him, like, hosting parties where he didn't necessarily drink, but he sold people drink cups (laughs) and made a bunch of money that way. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, you know, this is something that he's, he's been thinking about from the jump. So anyway, he he leaves Penn in 1995 and gets uh, accepted into a Ph.D. program at Stanford University in California in physics. But as he's going out there, you may remember around this time, there's the Internet boom. Mm -hmm. And so he's in this Ph.D. program for, I think, like two days, like literally two days. That's it. That's it. Um, Before he drops out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> decides to launch his first company, which is called Zip2. Ooh, okay. What's Zip2? So it was sort of an early um, attempt to get newspapers online, believe it or not. But anyway, um, this gets acquired by Compaq, 
for something like $300 million in 1999. And with this money, um, Musk goes on to co-found X.com, an online financial service and uh, payment company. What exactly was Elon's vision for that company? It, it was one of the first online banks. As, as far as I can tell, uh, Musk wanted to challenge the banking industry. He wanted to disrupt banking. So this is an ATM. What we're going to do is transform the traditional banking industry. I do not fit the picture of a banker. X.com, this is Julie. Raising $50 million is a matter of making a series of phone calls. And the money is there. You know, it wasn't a small scope type of deal that Musk was working on. But what happens is uh, X.com winds up merging with Confinity, which is the startup by this guy, Peter Thiel. You might have heard of him. Anyway, um, Confinity has a money transfer service called PayPal. This is where there's some friction um, because, you know, Elon Musk really has this idea for an extensive banking service and he he wants x.com to be something much bigger than that and there's sort of a fight about branding because he wants the branding for paypal to be paypal brought to you by x and pretty much everybody else is like people like and recognize paypal they don't know what x is um let's just let's just make a paypal so at this point musk doesn't like the fact that that the company that he was working on the name is getting erased yeah, I mean, basically, it's a sort of a question of scope, right? Like, do you want to focus on these online payments or do you want to do something much bigger? Um, and Musk gets pushed out so that they can narrow the scope and focus on these online payments. And I, um, the former CFO of PayPal said something like, it would have killed the company if Elon had stayed on as CEO for six more months. Musk got kicked out of PayPal, essentially, is what you're saying. I mean, he was still on the board, but yes, he was he was fired as a CEO. How do you think that impacted him? I think that getting kicked out of PayPal was a formative experience for him because it seems to speak to the way that he controls his other companies. There's a bunch of anecdotes of him talking about how much he doesn't like public companies because you can't really control things and you can't really have a long-term vision. And I think that after his experience at PayPal, Musk decided, okay, like I need to be in charge of my own companies in such a way that I can't be removed like this again. How was Elon Musk perceived at that point? Like, who was he in the world of, of business, in the world of tech? I think he was sort of perceived in the way that most executives are perceived, which is, you know, you're known within your own circle, but you're not necessarily a household name. So he is not the guy that we know today. No, he's definitely not. And you can see there are some um, early interviews with him uh, where people are talking to him and he's like, doesn't have the same kind of media savvy he later develops. Um, and it's like seeing um, a proto Elon Musk. Uh, a lot of the stuff that that we see later is, is already there, uh, but it hasn't quite developed. Do you have an example of, of I guess, his media clumsiness at the time? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a specific interview and I wish I could remember there's one with him and his then wife, and they're, you know, talking about how their life hasn't really been changed that much by this money, except that they bought a nice car. <laughs> and then it's him showing off his car. I expect to receive a car that I've just bought, which is called the McLaren F1. It's a million dollars for a car. It's, it's, uh, it's decadent. Oh, yes, I know exactly what interview you're talking about. This is actually a pretty famous interview where where he just seems 
like kind of, I don't know, like he hasn't fully settled into his new life. He's a little bit awkward. He just seems like he's also beaming, right? He's like really proud of this car. Yeah, he's, he's thrilled, thrilled out of his mind. Wow, I can't believe it's actually here. It's pretty wild, man. Just three years ago, I was showering in the, at the Y and sleeping on the office floor. And now, obviously, I've got a million-dollar car and quite a few creature comforts. Okay, so I'm glad you actually brought up his wife and everything. So Musk also got married in 2000 for the first time, right? To Justine, yes. And there are sort of some anecdotes that surfaced when they eventually divorced. And one of the most striking ones happens on their wedding night. And they're they're taking their first dance. And he whispers in her ear, I am the alpha in this relationship. What do you think that reveals about Elon Musk? A deep well of insecurity. I mean, I can't imagine saying that to a romantic partner. On your wedding night, of all things. Or ever. But I also think it speaks to some of the stuff we were talking about a little earlier, about how he needs to constantly be in control. And what is that phrase, if not, you know, I'm in control? And as the two of them are getting divorced, um, I'm, I'm going to botch the exact phrasing, so this is a paraphrase. Uh, but, you know, she says something about not being happy in the relationship, and he says something like, if you were my employee, I would have fired you. What that story indicates to me, one, is not just his desire for control, but also a a misogynistic streak. Yeah, there's, you know, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this, because there's certainly a streak of misogyny among his fans. Um, It's something that especially women and reporters who cover Elon Musk encounter a lot. I personally get told that I must be, quote unquote, obsessed with him. But there is this sort of culture that he comes from that is not especially woman-friendly. Like, Silicon Valley of that period is not especially women-friendly, and it's still not women-friendly now. So there is kind of a casual misogyny in a lot of the areas in which he's operating. Um, And, like, that's true of aerospace. That's true of cars. That's true of software. Uh, These are all extremely dude turf places where dudes tend to defend their turf. So how exactly did things end between PayPal and the other co-founders and Elon Musk? So uh, PayPal goes public in 2002 and after a couple of months is bought by eBay. Um, And I think um, Musk gets something like $165 million out of this transaction. Um, The overall transaction is something like $1.5 billion. Okay. So with the PayPal money, he does two things. Uh, First of all, he founds a rocket company, Space Exploration Technologies, or SpaceX. Uh, He founds that in 2002. Um, But the other thing that he does is he invests in this this car company. This company was making electric cars. He's the Series A investor for Tesla Inc., um, and that takes place in 2004. Um, And later, uh, Musk becomes credited as a co-founder of Tesla. After the break, Elon picks up speed. This is Reset. What if all your breaking news alerts had a voice? What would that sound like? It would sound like Today Explained. It's a daily news podcast from Vox. 
I'm Sean Ramos for him. Every day, my team and I take one essential news story, politics, Me Too, movies, sports, science, and we break it down into 20-minute episodes perfect for your ride home. Subscribe to Today Explained on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. From Stitcher and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Liz Lopato, deputy editor at The Verge, you recently published an article that was entitled The Decade in Elon. Why did you choose to look at this period, meaning the 2010s of his career? This is sort of the decade where Elon Musk, as the figure we know him now, emerges. So, you know, if you remember 2010, he's still basically best known for getting fired from PayPal. One of his companies, uh, Tesla, had built its first car, the Roadster, and that was in 2008. But he goes through this period of personal difficulty where he and SpaceX and Tesla all nearly go bankrupt in 2008 as the result of the financial crisis. And then in 2010, these significant things happen. The first is that SpaceX launches the first version of the Falcon 9, which is their workhorse rocket. Liftoff. Liftoff of the Falcon 9. The second is that Tesla uh, goes public. You raised $260 million from your IPO, about $325 And the third is that Tesla um, takes occupancy of their very first factory in Fremont, California. Well, uh, we have a a very big sign. Um, (laughs) uh, And we're going to raise the curtain on the sign. Uh, this may take a while. <laughs> and from 2010, the, the pace only really accelerates because those three things sort of set up everything that happens in the, the next decade or so. So if I were to ask you to sort of give me like a quick run through of the last decade in Elon, like what are the major points? <sighs> I'm taking a deep breath because I'm going to like it's going to be a lot. In 2010, there's there's this launch. And then in 2012, um, SpaceX becomes the first private company ever to dock at the International Space Station. And then um, by 2015, SpaceX has flown something like seven missions to the space station. And then around 2015, things start to get more interesting. So uh, SpaceX lands its first rocket. You, You mean like lands a rocket on Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LZ-1, the Falcon has landed. Landing operators moving to procedure 11.100, section 3 on LZ-1, beating that and recovering that. Elon Musk had this idea that reusable rockets would be a cost-cutting measure. And the metaphor that SpaceX tends to use is, why would you throw an airplane away after one flight? Why would we do this with rockets? And there's been some questions about whether that is a reasonable cost-cutting measure, in part because refurbishing a rocket is pretty expensive, too. But yeah, in 2015, he lands a rocket, um, the first stage, and people were like, oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's serious. And then he starts landing them so routinely that people begin to take it for granted that SpaceX can just land their rockets now. Meanwhile, Tesla is also ramping up significantly, right? Oh, yeah, because what fun would it be if one of these companies was chill? (laughs) So 
Tesla goes public in June 2010, then they start building more cars. So you see uh, the Model S launches in November 2012, and then the first deliveries for the Model X happen in September 2015. And um, there's some delays in production. One of the consistent things about dealing with Elon Musk is that his timelines are almost always too optimistic. Uh, but nonetheless, these these cars are, are, are out in the world and people are pretty excited about them. I don't know if you've ever spoken to a, a Tesla owner, but I have, and they tend to be very enthusiastic about their cars. Well, I've had a few weeks to get to know my new cheap Tesla. And so far, Elon, Mwah, you really outdid yourself with this thing. So they're also uh, planning around this time for the Model 3, which is uh, the relatively affordable Tesla, the mass market electric car. And uh, there's some questions about how that will that will happen, because as of 2015, the Fremont factory had delivered fewer than 51,000 cars total. So there's some questions about how he's going to get these ambitious plans for the Model 3 done. But at this point, like Tesla, Tesla's cruising along, you know, uh, things are working out. The cars are going, people are excited. Work begins on the Model 3 and Elon Musk decides that the, the thing that they should do is they should turn the factory into a, quote, alien dreadnought. An alien dreadnought? Yeah. What is that supposed to mean? The, the idea is that uh, I think that it's supposed to be sci-fi, right? Like that it's, you know, if you walk into it and there are no people involved and it's just uh, uh, this, this machine that builds the machine. So the theme of sci-fi just keeps coming back all the time with Elon oh, Musk. Oh yeah, we, at no point are we ever going to lose touch with science fiction. So, um, you know, at this point, SpaceX and Tesla are both pretty iconic companies in their own right. Yeah, so the two kind of come together during this uh, initial Falcon Heavy launch uh, in 2018 because the payload that they send into orbit is Elon Musk's Tesla Roadster. And it's this, you know, this cherry red car, very striking against the black background of space. Um, and it's got a dummy in it in a space suit, and they've nicknamed him Starman. I'm sorry, they put a dummy in the Tesla Roadster that they launched in space? Yeah, also cameras so that they could live stream the dummy. This was Elon Musk's idea? Doesn't it sound like Elon Musk's idea? <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of feels like Elon became more of a public figure in this last decade. From your perspective, why do people care about him as a personality? To some degree, that's always the question of any celebrity. But it seems like he particularly appeals to a group of people who also love sci-fi, who are very interested in cars and rockets. I would say part of it also is that, you know, Elon Musk doesn't dream small. And I think that there are people who find that really inspiring. They want people to dream big. They like that he's dreaming big. And they, they want to encourage more of that in our society. And then I would also say, on top of sort of those two things, um, his sort of story of being uh, the underdog who then went on to, you know, dominate space and to, you know, create Tesla is uh, a story that I think a lot of people who maybe have had some difficulty in their early life might find inspiring or relatable. And it can be maybe a kind of like wish fulfillment story for people who are going through something difficult. Mm. Elon is also extremely online, right? Can you tell me a little bit about his Twitter? Um, yeah, I can I can tell you about his Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Elon Musk is probably too online if we're being honest about it, but I don't think he's ever going to log off. And like, I, I find this weirdly endearing um, because I am also online too much and also on Twitter too much, but he, he sometimes is just goofing around and like making jokes about like building a volcano lair. At least I hope they're jokes. Um, and then like, sometimes he's like announcing actual material information about Tesla, but, um, every once in a while, something he'll just wild out and like tweet something really weird. And then, and then the entire media industry sort of collapses around itself, trying to figure out what's going on. On social media, in the midst of widespread concerns Tesla might collapse, he tweeted this. We are sad to report that Tesla has gone completely and totally bankrupt. So bankrupt, you can't believe it. You know people are nervous and they're worried. You, you are aware of that. So knowing that, why would you do an April Fool's joke that you did? Oh, because there were all these media articles uh, saying that Tesla's going bankrupt? Yes. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just do an April Fool's joke that we did go bankrupt. But Elon, that's not funny when people are nervous. I mean, it's April Fool's. People should, like, lighten up, okay? He's also gotten in trouble at least a couple times because of his Twitter, right? Oh, yeah. So obviously there's the defamation trial, which was a Twitter defamation trial. The suit is brought by a British cave explorer over a tweet by the Tesla CEO calling the Brit a pedophile. Vernon Unsworth was part of a team hailed as heroes for rescuing 12 boys trapped in a flooded cave in Thailand last year. At the time, Musk offered the use of a mini submarine. Unsworth later told CNN that offer was a PR stunt. Musk lashed out at Unsworth on Twitter, calling him, quote, pedo guy. Meaning, well, that that was the thing that was in contention in the courtroom, because according to Musk's lawyers, this was just a meaningless <laughs> insult. And according to Vernon Unsworth, he had been called a pedophile and defamed. What exactly was at stake for Elon in the defamation trial? I think his pride more than money. Like the way that his um, attorney was characterizing the interchanges with Unsworth was that it was a fight between men. It was an argument between men. They were, they, he, Elon Musk was insulting Unsworth as people do in arguments. Um, this was not defamatory and nobody would, would take it to be a claim that Unsworth is a pedophile. You've been covering Elon for like half a decade now. So what do you think about what he's accomplished? Is, is he actually moving the needle? Is he somebody that is worthy of the attention that he gets? Man, I really struggle with this question because I have come to think of Elon in much the way that, that I think about the weather. Um, mm. The weather is always occurring. Um, sometimes it's weather I like, sometimes it's weather I don't like, but I don't have any real control over the weather. There's nothing I can do about it except, you know, wake up and check my phone. And so that's that's sort of what covering Elon is like, right? Ah, yes. And now we have a gigantic thunderstorm. Um, <laughs> that tends to be <laughs> how I think about Elon. But uh, I will say this. Um Tesla demonstrated to pretty much every other automaker that it was possible to make a sexy electric car that people would want to buy. And there are a bunch of electric cars that are currently on the market or coming to market very shortly from luxury automakers that are moving into the space that he essentially pioneered. To me, that seems like a pretty clear win. Even if Tesla just vanished from the earth tomorrow, the fact that it had demonstrated electric cars could be sexy and interesting and people would buy them, like that, that is influential and I, I think to Elon Musk's credit. SpaceX is the probably the most important private rocket company ever. So that's a pretty big title to have. Yeah, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a small thing. Liz, you seem to take a, a lot of pleasure in sort of reporting on Elon Musk-related things. Why is that? 
You know, he's such a character. He's such a character. It's there. I've I've been thinking about this a lot. There aren't a lot of people in the business world that are that out there in the way that Elon Musk is. Like there are other um, CEOs who've had sort of like followings. I'm thinking specifically of Steve Jobs, who had like sort of a following in the way that Elon Musk had a following. But even Steve Jobs was relatively buttoned up relative to Elon, who is just like out here like tweeting I heart anime and like doing God knows what else. And there is like a certain amount of chaos involved. And as you know, um, Ariel, because we've worked together, uh, I really like chaos. You do. Looking back on the life and career of Elon Musk so far, how should people think about him? Man, I I really hesitate to tell people how to think about Elon Musk, in part because there are some, you know, fairly intense fans and some fairly intense haters. Um, And they're all operating with the same set of facts. They're just weighing the facts somewhat differently, right? So, like, people who are short Tesla are saying, you know, this company isn't going to succeed because it's loaded down with debt and the CEO is highly erratic. Um, whereas people who are long Tesla are like, okay, he's a little erratic. That's true. But also like, look at what he's done so far from nothing. One thing that you can say for sure is that he has used social media in a way that no other CEO has to connect to his fan base. Um, and that is part of the reason there is such an intense sort of cult of personality around him is that he has really used Twitter and especially YouTube to speak directly to the people who feel most inspired by him. And in that sense, like if you're looking from the perspective of publicity, it's sort of savvy. It can at times be a double-edged sword, but it is definitely unusual and worth keeping an eye on because I don't think he's going to be the last CEO to do it. Liz Lopato is the deputy editor of The Verge. Liz, thank you. Oh, thank you, Ariel. It was a real pleasure being here. This is Reset. I'm Ariel Dimros. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It seriously really helps us. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds.